Uh, all right. Uh, well, welcome, everyone. A uh, couple of uh, quick things of uh, business, I guess. Um, next week will be our last full class of the semester. Uh, and then the week after that is our oral final, which is where we're going to probably take about 45 minutes to an hour of class time. And the topic of that will be up to you. Uh, I have some ideas about that, but if you have some questions about anything specifically, if you can email me, say I'd like to a little bit more about this, or I'm still not sure about this thing, or I've wondered about this, uh, shoot me an email and uh, we'll try and do some address a number of questions uh, that last week. And then again, for those of you who have never been to an oral final uh, with this class, uh, oh my. Uh, it, what we do is we invite people to bring things. It's kind of a kind of a brunchy kind of thing, and it's a lot of whatever you want to bring. And it is, it, I look forward to this all year long just because I know what that means. Uh, we are going to need some help. We've got a few people that could be here about 8:30 uh, next uh, in two weeks to help us set up the tables, help us set up the chairs, uh, and then anything that you want to bring—a favorite dish. Uh, something that you could then share with everybody else, and uh, it, just a, it is a great time. Uh, I, I, I always look forward to it. So that's in two weeks. So start thinking about the questions that you have. Uh, all right, based on that then, uh, we always like to start by asking questions about uh, what it is that you learned this weekend, or uh, anything jump out at you in the news, maybe? Anybody see anything in the news? Yes, ma'am? The five mothers. Yes, that we all descended from five mothers, and uh, that's like biologically from children. Ah, okay. I don't know if you heard that. No, that was a surprise to eat, but. Uh, 
for those of you who don't know about Hans Mill, we'll be talking about Hans Mill in September. You mean we bought the whole town? No, but all there is is the site. <laughs> it's in a park. Yeah, we bought the park. Up till, up till now, it's been owned by the Community of Christ, the reorganized church. Uh, so we bought Hans Mill, and then they all said, oh, oh by the way, we did buy 6,000 acres in and around Far West. 6,000? 6,000 acres, yeah. Close by Far West and, and my Valley, yeah. The, the, val the valley where Adam blessed his family. Yeah, we just bought 6,000 acres there, which I thought was just... But we're not planning on doing it. Says right now there's no plans to develop any of that. It's going to be farmland. Okie dokie. Just yeah, get your food storage. <laughs> I just love how they do that. Okay. Anything else that uh, you uh, picked up on? Yeah. That is, yeah, we kind of mentioned that before. She said in the Frisco State, the public affairs people are coming in and trying to start talking to people because there's some really nice ways to get rid of some of the myths and misconceptions about the church that are out there. And I think we kind of said this before, we're our own worst enemies for using lingo and language and trying to get, trying to over-explain things uh, way too much. Uh, because this is a very simple, straightforward uh, explanation. Uh, and you've heard me say it a number of times, but it's pretty hard to get past the idea that when somebody says, so you're, you're a Mormon, you're a member of the church. What is that? Well, the Savior established a church when he was on the earth. Over time, men changed it, and now it's been brought back. That's who we are. Cool. And don't get too far away from that one because that's the core of this. Yeah. He gave some interesting statistics that I heard before. And the first was that 84% of the people are familiar with the church. At some, at some level. At some level, they sure. 55% of people know a member of the church, which I thought was. 55% know a member. And then. Which is generally positive. 49% have an yeah. So it was like people who don't know a member have an unfavorable, have an unfavorable view. That's interesting. I like that. 40, you did that. 51% know a member, 49% have an unfavorable. And I would imagine there's a little bit of overlap. It's like, yeah, I knew a Mormon. You know, I beat his wife all the time. Yeah. Yeah, and sometimes there's another statement that says if you go to a restaurant and you have a bad experience, you will tell 17 people. 
If you go to a restaurant and you have a great experience, you'll tell five. So if you've you've been to the church and had an unfavorable experience, or that you're currently inactive, you're more likely to talk about the church more because you have an axe to grind. So I could see where that would occur. And and, and we're about to talk about how important it is for members to open their mouths uh, with the talent that they've been given. This is so perfect for what we're we're talking about uh, so yeah, this is this is our chance uh, to kind of explain a lot, to explain a lot of the myths. Uh, but when we have uh, celebrities like John Stewart that are out there talking about what's, what's the big deal with the Mormon stuff and get off, you know, quit being biased, and I'm going really, John Stewart. So. And, what's that? Yeah. <coughs> Who then, who then is endorsed Mitt Romney. So. Yeah. Well, he said, he said the lesser of the two. The lesser of the two evils, yeah. I know. Yeah. Isn't that great? So, so, so at this point, that's why I say it's going to behoove us about how we hold ourselves and do we hold ourselves up Do people see who we are. Uh, when I, you know, I thought it was important when, uh, a couple weeks ago when I spoke at TWU, uh, you know, we have a three or four hundred people in this group that I spoke to, and they announced me some of them graduated from Brigham Young University and all that. So there really is a we just have to be out there. If they get to know you, they'll find out who you are. So good stuff. It's a fun time to to be a member. Uh, you're in at the right time, dear. All right. Well, that said, I think there's anything else. Any other questions or anything that come up? Okay. Uh, all right. It is uh, it is Monday morning, and I know uh, sometimes you have those those feelings on Monday morning. Sometimes it's. <laughs> I'm not sure I'm ready for the rest of the week to come, but it's like, and here it comes. Try and get out of the way of this one. Uh, okay. Alright, let's uh, there's we're actually going to kind of do about three mini lessons today. Uh, really what I'm going to focus on is uh, section 60, 61, and 62. And each one has a very prominent lesson to it, but we've got, uh, again, with every, every time that we read in the Doctrine and Covenants, more than any other book, you've got to know the historical circumstances behind it, so that you know why it is that the Lord, what the Lord was responding to, and what was going on, okay? By the way, Rick, how was the dedication of it? Incredible? Yeah, I don't even know how to express it. I mean, we, we spent all Saturday night with Fred's and Monson and 12,000 of the same.
Everybody cheered. It was just me because he said, this is for fun. It's okay. Clap. The prophet's here. <laughs> Everyone sang, you know, we thank the Lord for prophet. And he clapped and wiggled his ears. And <laughs> <laughs> he was in pure Watson Okay, uh, tell, tell me if I'm wrong, Rick, but aren't we talking about right here? Yeah, it's in Clay County, just across the river. It's yeah. Up, it's right next to Liberty Jail, if anybody's been to Liberty Jail. It's, I think, six miles or so. Yeah, just, just six miles south of Liberty yeah, Jail. Because right. Liberty's in that neighborhood area. It's kind of, the town has kind of come around it. But and the church did something interesting. Yeah, it's so on a right about drive up towards the airport. They bought about, I don't know, it says on the website. 6,000. 100 acres or something right there. <coughs> And they developed it, and they created oh. the covenants. And you can't live there unless you build to their standards, and because there's nothing there, so they don't want apartments next to. Oh, that's the cool. See, I just think, and the thing that, and it's the timing of this, and what we're doing is so amazing, because we're talking about down here in Independence. Uh, this is this is where they're now traveling back, and now after all this period of time, and they were talking about temples and temple plots. And now we're back in Western Missouri. President Monson mentioned that in the dedicatory session. He said, we're back, we're stronger than ever. Yeah. Let's love our neighbors, let's accept people, let's not be contentious. I mean, he made it, it was interesting knowing our history as Missourians. So. Yeah. Yeah, so so this is, this is literally, um, that's why I say the timing. So you remember that originally the idea was is that they were told while they were in Kirtland, that, that we were going to find out the place in New Jerusalem and where Zion would ultimately be built. And so these brethren are trying to get up and they get excited. And the belief at that time was, again, that the second coming is imminent. So we're excited. They all get up. They all go. And, and the Lord is going to call missionaries that you're supposed to preach along the way to get down there. So, so they're going to work their way down here. They do the dedicatory thing here. Uh, as we're going to talk about, there was some disappointment because there wasn't more fireworks. They were expecting angels, maybe Adam would show up, all kinds of stuff. Didn't happen. It was kind of low key. Um, and then, now, when we're going to get to uh, section 60, section 60 is just as they're getting ready to leave. Now, you're going to find a fascinating thing here that sometimes in these sections the Lord is very, very specific. You guys go here, you do this, you do that, make sure this happens. And then sometimes he's going to say, I don't care if you go home in a chariot. Don't care. Just get home. And, and that's going to be one of our themes uh, for today. Okay? Going home in a chariot is not the thing. It's... <laughs> Just check it. Yeah, um, it will be the center point of the church. But 
We're not trying to broadcast this because yeah. I did think it was interesting that they didn't. They decided not to broadcast it to all the other chapels like they've done with Nauvoo and Palmyra. There's only 12 states I still think the church is kind of trying to low key this because because we tend as a as a okay. Let, let's be honest. As members, don't we tend to be just a little bit reactive? <laughs> If, if President Watson got up in a general conference and said, I really love prunes. Prunes are just wonderful. I don't start a single day without prunes. What would happen in the stores in Salt Lake the day after conference? There would be companies spring up, prunes are us. So we just we tend to be reactive about stuff like that. So I'm already seeing the forgetting us stuff. Yeah. section 20 or 60 if we can <laughs> all right 
So now, now the Lord has been fairly specific about where to go and what to do, and now they're ready to go home. So this is a, this revelation now comes in um, while well, they're still in Jackson County, and and I want you to look at the language on this because I've got I've got a question. Verse 1, Thus saith the, the Lord unto the elders of this church who are to do what? Return speedily. Look at verse 5. I speak unto you concerning your journey. Let there be a craft made or bought. A craft. What's that? Transportation. In this case it was a... Canoe. It canoes. Okay? As seemeth you good, it mattereth not to me how you get down the river. Uh, you do need to know that the distance between Kirtland and Independence, you could travel between the two distances 90% of the time by water. There was canals, there were rivers all the way across. Okay? So, so get a craft means not just a wagon or we're going to walk or something like that. It's going to say, all right, we're going to be on this. And you're going to have a craft. So they're, they're going to do canoes. But a seemingly good, it mattereth not to me what kind of boat and do what? Take your journey speedily for the place that's called St. Louis. Um... Look at um, 14. Well, 13. Thou shalt not idle away thy time. 14. Thou shalt come up to the land of Zion and proclaim my word, and thou shalt do what? Speedily. Proclaiming my word among the congregation of the wicked. Not in haste. How do we go speedily, but not in haste? <coughs> yeah. It does. Church 
How many times in our lives do we get a sense, do we get a prompting to say, do something now, and then we procrastinate, we drag our feet, we don't know enough, I have to get more information, I've got to, I'm not sure. You ever sat in a testimony meeting and the Spirit says, speedily bear your testimony? Do it now, and what do you do? I'm going to sit here, and then you just watch them. Okay. I'll go do it. You know, because the Spirit keeps kicking me. That's speedily. Do it now. When you're getting your... And by the way, the more... When the Spirit speaks and prompts and we do it, and the Spirit speaks and we prompt, or we're prompted and we do it, then what happens? You're going to get more promptings. You will be led more by the Lord. And sometimes I think when people say... I never get promptings, or I, the Lord never really tells me what to do. And if you really are honest about it, has He ever told you to do stuff before? Yes. Did you do it? Well, I wasn't very strong, or everybody else was smarter, or really? I wonder why. We just said the the goal here is He, he prompts we do speedily. Does that make sense? Okay. So with these guys, it was like, okay, go right away. You're done. You're finished. We had a great spiritual experience in Missouri and in Independence. We've dedicated the land to the temple. We've dedicated the place for New Jerusalem. We know where people are going to now start to migrate from Ohio down to Missouri to begin to ascend, to get their inheritance in Zion. We're starting to prepare for the second coming. Good stuff. Go home. Speedily. Do it now. Okay? Alright. Now, there's a couple of things though that jump out in here. And I I kind of sometimes I'm always aware that I'm kind of trying to go through here and there's so many great lessons. And and which lessons we choose are great and the ones that we I know we're leaving out. That's for another time. I want you to look at verse 4. Because sometimes we've quoted verse 2 quite a bit. I'm not well pleased. Some won't open their mouth. They've, they will hide the talent I've given them because of the fear of man. Uh, you know what? Let, let's stop for a second on that. I do want to mention that. Because it will make sense when we get to 4. What's, our, what's the talent? The gifts. Our testimony. See, in our mind, when you look at the word temple or talent, what you want to do is you want to give it a talent the way that we use it in common language now. Talent means, well, I don't have a gift of speaking. I don't have a gift of singing. I don't have a talent. And when, when the Savior in the parable is talking about giving talents, what is it that he's giving? A gift of... Something rare, something great, right? In fact, the Greek word for talent is going to be something that can be measured. Something that you put on scales. So he says, I've given you a talent. They hide the talent. What's the talent? Our, our testimony. And to a certain extent, our gospel. I have given you the gospel. 
And as, as a member? As a person, as who we create to be. Oh, I like that as well. Hold on to that for a second. This will go in two steps. Okay? Because if we look at it in terms of the, the talent is the gospel, and he's saying to you, um, don't hide the fact. Open your mouth and, and, and preach and call to repentance. Ah, if you're on a mission, most of the time, just do what? Let them know who you are. I know a wonderful lady that, that taught school for 20 years. And people in the school never knew she was a Latter-day Saint. She would always just keep that very quiet. Well, it's going to be kind of embarrassing if I tell her. So I'll just keep that to myself. And she's a wonderful lady. The school thinks the world of her. But they don't even know she's a member. How many times? Why would we do that? Fear of what? Yeah, and what they're going to say, there's going to be that Mormon thing. I also think there's another thing that happens. What, if, if you are a member and people come to know that you're a member, what else are you afraid of? You have to live it, number one. Yes. See, I believe, bless your hearts, I believe that for a lot of you, you don't mind people knowing that you're a member. But you are more afraid of their questions. So you're Mormon. Wow. So how come and why and you go, uh, I can't even answer my kids' questions. Mommy, did Brigham Young have more than one wife? Why was that? <laughs> and we just, you know, the, that's why I love the idea, you know, from the uh, public affairs, you, you're going to have to be known, but you're going to have to be comfortable in answering questions. And the wonderful thing, our, this church has nothing to hide, guys. Joseph Smith has nothing to hide. He, he was magnificent, and he was human. And there are answers to all of these. One thing that they said in their presentation was a lot of times we mistake or curiosity about the church with interest in the church. And so we Ooh. go overboard in our explanations, kind of like why our children ask, you know, ask us questions about the birds and the bees or They just want to know where we came from, meaning Heavenly Father or something, not the mechanics of it. And people who ask questions about the church don't really want to know everything. No, in fact, our, the other statistics, and they may have quoted this, but when somebody joins the church, uh, uh, good example, when somebody joins the church, they have generally had contact with the church, I think the average is 11 times. There have been some touch along the way over and over and over to the point where the, the moment comes, you go, okay, I'm ready to know more. Would that be accurate? Yes. Okay. And, and so that's a perfect example. Interest that means that we're explaining stuff, but just because they want to know about uh, this new temple in Kansas City, there's a great chance to tell about the temple in Kansas City, but it doesn't mean you necessarily have to invite the missionaries over next week. We're talking about baptism for the death. They may not want to know about that. Exactly. So, so right. Answer their questions. And part of it, though, and, and I come back to, do you... Do, can you answer with comfort the questions you might get asked? And because of that, you may be afraid because you don't exactly know how to answer them. 
say it the wrong way or say the wrong thing. And, and we are afraid to just rely on the Spirit touching them with the right thing if we're trying to help I'm going to screw them up. This is... This is their one chance to get the gospel, and I said too much or the wrong thing, or they answered, they asked a question I couldn't answer, and I will mess them up. Great point. Okay? All right, now, how about the second part that Wendy's referring to? Sometimes we're going to hold that bushel because we're going to be held to a standard, and sometimes what they need to do is just know who we are, right? Who, who we are, and I put, now put those two together, who we are as members. Because there is a perception out there that says, I know Mormons, and they seem to be nice people. I know Mormons, they seem they, they come and help. I know Mormons, they seem to be okay. I just don't understand why it is they worship Joseph Smith. <laughs> and it is Yeah, we are good people and we don't worship Joseph Smith, you know, we we we're we're Christian. Yeah, they're gonna they're gonna hear what we're gonna say through their filter. Uh, I remember that we had a we had a uh, wonderful young man we invited to church with us, and, and he came and, and the first thing he did is he came down the aisle and knelt knelt down on one knee and Jenny collected <laughs> and made the sign of the cross because that's just what he that's what he knew. That's the language from and I remember on my mission uh, meeting a, a Muslim man and we had a Book of Mormon and we said. We'd like you to read it, and we handed it to him, and he said, I cannot, I'm not going to wash my hands, and I need to prepare before I can touch this sacred book, and, you know, it's, it's, their, it's their filter. That's why I love the idea of just answering questions. We don't have to be very pushy about this, but we do have to open up our mouths. Was there to kind of make she want to see how things were going, and she walks in. There's like 
40 people there from the church and just a beehive of activity and things are coming and going. And she's just standing there watching all this. She's like, where did all these people come from? And I said, we're members of the church, Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, that's Mormon. This is what we do. We take care of each other. And she just went, I just never seen anything like this. I said, I know this is what we do. This is this is what's supposed to happen. She just, and she just kept saying, I'm just so impressed. I just can't believe it. Yeah. About 20 years ago, So, so we're going to do things speedily when we're prompted. We're going to open our mouth when we feel prompted. And then, and it's all right to say, I don't have an answer for that. I will get answers later. But now I want you to but look at verse 4. Uh, 4. I, the Lord, rule the heavens above and among the armies of the earth. And in that day when I shall make up my... Jewels. Okay, there's, a, there's an odd phrase here. Whenever you see an odd phrase, here's another key to the scripture. Whenever you see an odd phrase, jump on that. Take a look at it and get behind it so it's going to open up. So I want you to, um, if you can, let's, yep. Hop over for just a second because I've got this linked to Zechariah 9.16. Those of you who can, you might set this up as a uh, as a uh, cross reference. Zechariah is talking all the way through here about uh, how he's going to protect Jerusalem. Uh, I'll cut off the chariot for me from the horse. Uh, uh, Turn ye to a stronghold, verse 12, you prisoners of hope, I will render double. Uh, fill the bow with Ephraim, raise up my son. In other words, I will protect you. I, God, will am the Lord of hosts. Meaning the what host? You ever heard that phrase, Lord of hosts? What host? Heavenly host. Concourses of angels. I am their captain. I am the Lord of hosts, of armies, and I can call down armies like ants and just swarm them with something that needs to be done. Okay, I'm the Lord of hosts. I will protect you. I will fight your battle. And then he's going to say, and listen to this, he's going to say, the Lord of hosts, verse 15, shall defend them and they shall devour and subdue with sling stones. Okay? And they shall drink and make noise as though wine can be a less loud thing, be filled with bowls. 16. And the Lord their God shall save them in that day 
as the flock of his people, and they shall be as what? The stones of a crown. The jewels. Now, explain to me what the difference is between sling stones that we're putting in a sling and the stones that go into a crown, the jewels. What's the difference? The sling stones are usually river stones that you just gather up in. Any stone. Yeah. I can throw, I can get any stone as long as the right size and throw it. And the, the stones of the crown are precious stones that are harder to find than usually the mine. Okay, they're mine. you got to go mine for them. you got to find them. Now, they're what? They're polished. They're polished before you're going to put them in a crown. Okay, why are you going to use this stone as opposed to one of What makes them precious? Rarity. The rarity, what made them rare? What about the trials? How did we get a diamond? Let's say that one of those precious stones is a diamond. How did we get a diamond? Pressure. Pressure and time. To where it's going to, to the point it says, can you take a slain stone and ultimately turn it into a precious stone? I guess if you've got a couple thousand years and a lot of pressure. But it's also got to be a certain kind of rock and a certain kind of substance that is then put under great pressure over time to the point that it is, and then polish to the point that then you can now take this precious stone, be it a ruby, be it a diamond, and, and then do what? What do you can do with this precious stone? Mount it. Where? In the crown. Worn by a king. So here's the king. And think about too, like the, the priests in, in Israel, if you're the high priest and you're going to wear the priestly garment, he's wearing 12 precious stones, one for each one of the tribes. Those are his jewels. And it's the Lord saying, these are those that I've collected, I've mined them, I've pulled them in, they were under great pressure, they've been polished, now I put them into my son and I wear them proudly. Okay, you get that imagery? Now, does it make sense to you then when you read verse 4 and he says, I rule the heaven. I am the king. I am in charge. I'm the Lord of hosts. And among the armies of the earth and in that day I, I shall make up my jewels. Where is he going to put the jewels? In his crown. Right? And all men shall know what it, that what it is that bespeaketh the power of God. And you will see it through my jewels. My precious stones. Now it's funny, as, as Latter-day Saints and as members and as Christians, think of all the terms that the Lord uses for you. He will call you sheep. He will call you cheese. What else? His children. Chickens. And the hand's going to gather in the chicks. The lambs. Listen to all the words that he uses to describe based on what is it. But when he talks about armies and the Lord of hosts, he calls you his jewels. You're his jewels. You are his masterpiece. And we shouldn't forget that. Yeah. The crown and the jewels... When I was a missionary, I went through the Tower of London, yeah. and they have the 
royal jewels, you know, the crown jewels, and everything, and they protect them very well. They're very, you know. That big glass door that you gotta walk through and get into the, yeah. And they're all behind glass, and they're all protected, and they're all taken very good care of, and they have the, you know, the, the security all around and everything. When I think of this, I think it was armies securing the jewels, you know. Oh, that's a good way to put and protect it. Yeah. And then there's going to become a moment, let's say that Queen Elizabeth finally dies or gives up the throne, you know, she'll probably be like 150 before she does that. Um, and then they're going to crown a new king or queen, and they will bring those jewels out to designate what? This is the new heir. And, and, I, and we know that because she's going to have the scepter, and she's going to wear the jewels. And, and for the Lord of hosts, the God of heaven, the heavenly king... Where's his jewels? We're in. There's nothing that he values more than his jewels. I just, you see the imagery on that? Now, why is he going to do... Now, let's ask the question. How come while he's trying to give directions to the brethren who were in Missouri to go home to Kirtland, why would he be talking about don't close your mouth and I, the Lord, am going to gather up my jewels? Now put the two together. And in missionary work, what are we doing? We're mining. We're finding new jewels. The answer to cross represents this church, the cross represents what there is in the church, which is of course our common mission. Does that make sense? She said, you know, sometimes if you want a symbol. And maybe this would be a good way to say it. So, you guys don't have the cross. You don't put a cross on your church. That, that's right. How come? Uh, there's a lot of symbols for a lot of churches. And I, and, and I love the symbol of the cross. And it's the symbol of the Savior. One of the things that this church tries to do is that our people are the symbol. It's our lives. It's how we reflect the light of the Savior in all that we do. We then become a symbol. And think about it for so many people, if they're if they're wondering about the Mormon Church, what do they what do, what do they picture? You. When I think about Mormons, I think about you because you live next to me and you do nice things, and I see you going back and forth to church. I think about you. You become the symbol of the church. You're his jewels. In the same way that a a uh, wedding ring says some, some things. You are his jewels. So, yeah. Could you tie this into the footnote listed for jewels for me? The top it says it refers to the top of the guy who wears almost the To what now? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, verse 4. For verse 4, because actually if you want to, if you look in the, into the footnotes for jewels, it, it, it's going to give you Isaiah, and, 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 and we don't have time to do it, read Malachi. Read Malachi 3 when he's talking about jewels. It's really cool. Okay? Yeah. Because he's making 
as you, if you look at your trials different, and there's going to be those moments. If you have a diamond, you ever see a rough diamond? They don't look that great, do they? What are you going to have to do to be able to uh, see the diamond for what it is with all its facets, with all its gifts, with all its unique gifts? It has to be cut by another diamond, but it takes something that's been under pressure and then the right cut at the right place to begin to split it so that you then see it before you can even polish it. Okay? I think that's, that's sometimes, what I'm saying is geodes. You ever go out geode hunting and like you've got these ugly looking rocks and they just look like, a, look like a big rock egg? And you split it and you open it up and you go, look at that! Isn't that cool? There's hidden strength and hidden sparkle. With light. With light. And polish. Yeah? I like the idea that it's a crown that's placed upon his head. The head is the, the top of the... It's the crowning glory. It's not in a scepter. It's not in a brooch. It's not in anything else that's placed on the head, which is the best place. It is the best place. Isn't that great? So, that's why I say, be careful... Be careful not to gallop too fast through all these because look at the lesson that sits here. Well, Mom, how come i got to be modest uh, at the dance uh, when everybody else lets, gets to let their cleavage hang out and the boys seem to like that? How come the Mormon girls have to like be boring and wear stuff? Because you're his jewel and, and as, as such, you're going to be dressed beautifully. There's a reason for this choice. I mean, there's a lesson here that is just like this. Okay. Okay, that was good. Okay. That's lesson one. We have that. Okay. Lesson two. I am impressed by how important some concepts are to the Lord. Look at the emphasis that He places on them, and you're going to see more fully why it is that what's really important to Him. Um, for the brethren, they're now going to get their crafts. So now, picture there's like 11 guys, and they're floating down the, the Missouri River, uh, and they're kind of hanging out, and in the first place, Joseph says, we got some wild turkey, and it was a great time, and it's like camp out time, and then all that kind of stuff. Okay, as they're going along, and now they're on the way back, the grumbling starts. The contention starts. One of the brethren said that Joseph was being a little dictatorial. One of Joseph's weaknesses was the fact that if you pushed him hard enough, he had a temper. He had a temper and could and could respond accordingly. Quite as as a boy, you know, if he's trying to get people to dig the well and they're not moving very fast, he took out some guys, you know, with his fists. And that's one of the reasons why he felt like he needed to repent to Moroni. I'm a prophet and I just punched the guy out. It's not a good thing. So he had it. So some of the brethren were saying, well. And this is really the time, first time they really had a chance to see Joseph 24 hours a day for days and weeks. And it's like, well, you're a little dictatorial. Uh, then Oliver Cowdery will get up and call them to repentance, and they didn't like that either. 
So now they're all grumbling and they're grumbling away. And here's the danger. They are grumbling where? In Zion. And grumbling and contention in Zion are massive sin. Because what is Zion? One heart. One mind. The pure in heart. And you're about to find out how the Lord views contention. And, and so, moms, those of you who have bickering kids, turn down the guilt for just a second for the next few minutes. Yeah. We can get in that contentious moment, and the Lord is going to say, I want you to be one. The Father and I are one. He's in me. I'm in Him. And thank you for the, the, those that you've given me out of the world, that they can be one in me as I am with thee. And we're all one. One heart, one mind. And if you're not going to do that, that's going to set up all the stuff that happened you read in section 61. You can't understand 61 until you get this... This concept and one other. Okay? Um, Alright, so let's take a look at 61. In fact, hold on. Let's, let me go back. They're going to travel down the Missouri. Then they're uh, right just before, right about here. Uh, they're grumbling, they're complaining, they're arguing, and then the the, the canoe that Joseph and Sidney Rigdon are in hits a submerged log and it capsizes, and they nearly drown. There's, there's they they run into a uh, a very scary situation where. Because there are no dams regulating the, the river, so sometimes there's rapids and stuff like that. So they almost lost Joseph and Sidney. And given the, the fact of that and all the grumbling that's going on, Joseph says, you know what? Let's camp for the night. And they camp in this place right here called McElwain's Bend. And they will have it out. They will camp all afternoon and evening. And it's time to have a discussion and get on the same page. And... Uh, by the way, there will be a the parallel to this. There's one for the for the, the Mormon pioneers uh, at a place called Scott's Bluff uh, for the forty seven the, the first group Brigham Young on the way to Salt Lake. They will get to a moment where they are they're bickering and they're complaining, but they're also doing some kangaroo courts and they're just having way too good a time. They're not solemn, and Brigham goes, "I will not go another step further." With this group of brethren the way they are right now, I will take five heathens with me instead of you. And they have an act. Meaning we're going to talk about it until we're all on the same page. And then 
they will then go off. The, 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 they're about 8 of the 12. They will go down over a bluff to the other side and they will hold a prayer circle. Get on the same page before they will then continue. This is the same thing that happened at McElwain's Bend. They're going to have it out, meaning we need to discuss what's going on and get on the same page. Okay, now with that said, now let's look at section 61. Behold and hearken the, the voice of him who has all power. Um, for I the Lord, look at verse 2, for I the Lord forgive sins and am merciful unto those who confess their sins with humble heart. Who's he talking about? The grumblers. Specifically, you guys. Because when this revelation comes, it comes the next morning after they finally had it out in the afternoon by evening. It was Shambhala, we're all together, life's good, we love one another again, and then we're getting the revelation the next morning. Okay. Um, now, let me. I'm going to hold off on this for just a second. Let's pop over. Because to understand the next part, we've got to understand... Oh, uh, yeah, let's do this ahead of this. Yes, I was trying to find a, uh, a contentious crew. Anybody ever been to Pier 39, San Francisco? When I think of contention, that's what I think of. You like that? It is noteworthy that the Savior did not limit His teachings about disputations and contention to those who had wrong ideas about doctrine or procedure. He forbade disputations and contentions by everyone, saying, He that hath the spirit of contention is not of me. Men should not be stirred up with anger one against another. Let me stop for a second. What if they're wrong? What somebody you're contentious with is really wrong? That's their problem. Is it your job to correct them? Especially in the church. Uh, I have known those in the church so that for, for learning about gospel principles, especially with some education, means that I will be the ultimate devil's advocate. So it's my job to always present the opposing view because that's how you're supposed to learn. And the Lord said, not in this case. When we were in the Midland Ward, when it was just one ward uh -huh. down there, um, we had a lot of people in the John Birch Society, uh -huh. and they began to stir up the, the ward and began to say things that were not really according to doctrine of the church, and it got so bad that Bruce R. McConkie had to come down and talk to the members of the church about being supportive of the bishop, about doctrines of the church. And actually some of the more uh, determined members, and I think they're all men, actually left the church because of that. Because I'm right. Yeah, they could not accept. 
I'm always amazed in marriage counseling how many people are more invested in being right than being happy. I must be right. Think about how many times in uh, custody disputes that one of the spouses is more concerned about winning and being right than what's in the best interest of the child. It's about the contention and it's about winning. And I must win at all costs. It's about competition. Yeah. You know, part of it with this too, Joseph and all are young. They're 24, 25 years yeah. old. Here's these other guys in the river a lot, they're more experienced, and Joseph's telling everybody how to run in canoes and get out of the water, and, you know, they were upset about that, but yet, no. he's the bishop, he's the young guy, he's the, you know, if you look at our day, yeah, bishop's 25 years old. What does he know? He has a good life. just off his mission, why are we listening to him? Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. Tell us how to raise our families, he was Yeah. <laughs> The commandment to avoid contention applies to those who are right as well as to those that are wrong. It is not enough for the Savior's followers to have a correct understanding of doctrine and procedure. They must also be harmonious in their personal relationships and in the way that they seek to serve Him. That's why there is such a danger here when we start talking to other people about the church because in many cases they're going to they're gonna want to be contentious because they know what they know. And you're about to challenge them on what they believed all this time. And they're going to claim and, and you're going to hear kind of silly arguments and you're going to want to be contentious and you can't do it. All you can do is to say, I understand you, that's what you believe, I'm sorry. It's not true. And I, I remember for half my mission, brothers and sisters, I carried around in my backpack uh, the Jehovah's Witness uh, Green Dragon, we call it. And I, I the, well, the Bible. And I had it marked, and I had it ready, and I remember high noon once out on the street. We were tracking here. They were tracking there. And it's like we, we crossed the street and, and it's like something right out of high noon. Aria, hi. We got preaching. Somebody reached. Ready. <laughs> Nothing good came of that. And, and I went home after that day and threw the book away. There was no reason for me to be looking for a chance, you know, look at me wrong. And I remember doing that once with a Methodist minister. We had a, a wonderful lady we were sitting there, and we both had our scripture sitting there, and it was congenial for about the first 20 minutes. And the first one to reach for their gun wins. What about, oh yeah, rough. And at the end of that, she joined the church. Why? Because we were nicer to her than he was. <laughs> Wasn't, and he beat us up bad, scripturally. He just, we were bruised and bleeding. We must be harmonious in their personal relationships in the way that we seek to serve him. Okay, now. You know, I thought I... 
hold on here. Let's get to, I'm going to get this in the right order. I'm going to go here. Now, to understand 61, we need a bit of a history lesson. Hang with me for a second. Because you're going to wonder, what does this have to do with anything? It has a lot to do with 61. Because 61 has been misunderstood for, for a long time, and we need to understand its context. Okay? Um, in the beginning, the Lord is going to divide the light and the darkness, and one of the things that He's going to divide is going to be the, the waters and the land. Right? Now, in the Garden of Eden, we know that the land was... <laughs> Blessed, meaning that it gave its fruit and and everything spontaneously. It just, you didn't even have to cultivate this thing. It just produces like crazy. What about the water? Same thing. I mean, everything is just everything is blessed in the Garden of Eden. Okay. Then what's going to happen is is that Adam and by the way, Adam is going to be tied to the earth because. The Lord is going to say to him symbolically, but everything. He's going to say, Adam is, how was he created? Of the dust of the earth. You're part of the earth. And then one day you will die and your elements will go back in there to the resurrection. So you're tied there. So that's, and so the, the earth is blessed, Adam is blessed, water is blessed, we're in the Garden of Eden, life is good. Okay? Now, Adam transgresses. Adam falls. Adam is now cursed, right? What else falls? The land also falls. The land goes from being blessed to cursed. So Adam falls. The earth falls. So now the earth is now cursed. And instead of producing things spontaneously, what is it going to do? Weeds. Weeds. Noxiously. And Adam's going to have to get... From picking the fruit up here, he's going to have to get in and dig in the tree. He's going to have to go back to the earth and get it to produce. Work with it. Pull the weeds that aren't supposed to be there. He's got to work with it because the earth is now cursed. It won't produce without help. What about the water? It's, it's not cursed. At that moment, then, the earth is cursed, the water is blessed. Because if I'm going to have someone like Adam, who now I'm going to, I'm going to teach, you're going to come out, I'm going to teach you the gospel, how is he going to repent of his transgression in the garden? He must be what? Baptized. The water will cleanse what is cursed. What is, okay? What happens when, when the children of Adam begin to pollute the earth over and over and over and the earth goes, I can't handle this anymore. What are we going to do about this? What is the Lord going to cleanse it with? Water. The flood. That's how it works. And in these stages, the earth is cursed, the water is blessed, and He cleanses with water. That's what baptism is. And all the way along, if, if you're blessed, if you're doing what you're supposed to do, the water comes and blesses you and your crops grow. And if you're not righteous, what's He going to withhold from you? The water. 
So you're going to be without the living water. I'll withhold the living water from you that would bless you, and the earth will fade. It will be in a drought. Does that make sense? So all the way along here, you get this stretch where the water is blessing, the earth is cursed. And from time to time, by the way, the Lord, and these aren't just random, the Lord will demonstrate that He has control over the water. That it's part of Him, because He will do what? Part it. Walk on it. Turn it into blood. Turn it into wine. He will... Uh, he will stop it from coming. The water is a blessing. In fact, you can travel on it. Listen close. You'll be able to travel on it from Kirtland to Missouri most of the time. And you can travel back on it as long as you are righteous. Now, does that make sense? Now, what it, but there's going to be a thing happening here. That the earth is cursed, the water is blessed. And, and always, 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 yeah. What's up with like the elder, the missionaries not being able to... Hold on, we're going there. The Mormon men. The Mormon men. Okay. Uh, what's going to happen as we get closer to the second coming? You know how like the Jews had the gospel and the Gentiles didn't. And then the Jews lose it and the Gentiles have it and then... Ultimately, the Jews will get it back because the Gentiles rejected it. But the last will be first, the first will be last, that stuff. Okay? Earth's cursed, water's blessed. Then as we get closer to the second coming, what happens? Earth begins to be blessed more. Look at especially the promised land. This land, how bounteous is this land? Oh my gosh, we just produced. We just produced. We're past the dust bowl days. We're just producing. The earth is becoming more blessed. What about the waters? As we get closer to the second coming. They heave beyond its bounds. Think Indonesia. Think Japan. Why? Because the earth is tired. And it's, and it's going to be cursed. You begin to be a cursing. And that's why as we get closer to the second coming, it's going to become less and less safe to travel on the waters and especially these waters around Missouri. Why? This is one of those times that J.R.R. Tolkien really, 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 really got it right. <laughs> Think in the first movie <laughs> and they're trying to get to this to this, the elder city of Rivendell. What is it that is on the outer boundary before you can get into Rivendell? The river. Good people can cross through the river and get to Rivendell. What if you're like, I don't know, a nasty dark writer? Bye-bye. What? What happens? The river rises up and takes it out. And he's going to say, in the last days, people will not be able to come up to Zion because the, the waters will be unsafe for them to do so. It says that in 61. Wow. Why? Because there's going to be a cursing here as we go along. Now, so far so good? Sure. All make sense? 
Okay. Now we're ready to hit. Um, let's go to. Let's go to sixty-one. Yes, sir. That happens frequently. Isn't there a scripture that has something to do with the devil riding upon the water? Hang with me here. Hang with me. I, I'm ahead of you. Yes, Sorry. you are. Sorry. <laughs> I'm just trying to push it down, bro. It'd be the first time you've done that. <laughs> okay. Verse 4. Oh, verse 3. Verily I say that it's not needful that this whole company of mine elders be moving swiftly upon the waters while the inhabitants on either side are perishing in unbelief. One of the things that was happening here, they're cruising down the river, there are people on the other side that can hear the gospel, but we're moving down, we're swiftly, we're going quickly, we're doing it now, and he says, Nevertheless, verse 4, I suffered it. I let you do it. That ye might bear record, behold, there are many dangers upon the waters, and especially hereafter. Verse 5, I, the Lord, have decreed in mine anger upon the many destructions upon the waters, especially upon these waters. All flesh is in my hand, and he that is faithful among you shall not pe perish by the waters. Okay, now, what had happened here? Right about the same time that Joseph and Sidney's canoe hit the, the log, and they, uh, W. W. Phelps recorded that he saw in vision the destroyer on the waters, and uh, Joseph recorded. Other people heard the sound. Only W. W. Phelps saw the destroyer. Ask the question. Why did he? Not why. Who? What? Who did he see? There you go. That's the question, isn't it? So what is the destroyer that W.W. felt, and what significance did that have to anything? The, the clear answer on the destroyer on the waters is, I have not a clue. The more I read, the more different opinions I get. Some will say he saw Lucifer. Some will say he saw a destroying angel, like, like with the children of Israel and Egypt. Uh, but, but what we know is that the, the, the bottom line to all this was that there was destruction coming on the waters. And, and, but yet when we look at this, verse 6, All flesh is in my hand, and he that's faithful among you shall not perish by the waters. At that moment, were they being faithful? No. no they were contentious. In fact, look at look at look at verse twenty. I the Lord was angry with you yesterday, but today mine anger is turned away. What was going on yesterday? They were contentious. What had happened today? They had resolved and become one. He doesn't mess. If you're going to be, let me say again, if you are going to be in Zion, 
There is a standard required of you of love and togetherness and contention is as bad as it gets. He will not let people stay in Zion who are contentious. And in fact, there will be a destroyer coming for those who try to do it. It's that, it's that uh, critical. Okay? Now, that's why now we're going to get all of this stuff. Um, verse 14. Behold, I the Lord in the beginning bless the waters in the last days. By my mouth of servant John, I curse the waters, all of this stuff. And it will be said in days to come that none is able to go up to Zion upon the waters, but he that's upright in heart. For as I, the Lord, in the beginning cursed the land, in the last days I have blessed it. You see the the change coming? Okay. Uh, 18. Now I give you a commandment, I say unto all, that you shall forewarn your brethren... Concerning these waters, that they come not journeying upon them, lest their faith fail and they are caught in snares. Here's specific. Okay, to anybody else, this is going to now journey from Kirtland to Zion. Now, don't have them go on the waters. Why? There's going to be two reasons. Number one, there are people perishing on both sides of the river. I need them to teach the gospel on their way to and from. Number one. What's number two? Because you might be bickering. And bickering and, and the water here is going to be kind of cursed and you could... Okay, so now, let's go back to that. So what about the missionaries? Have we always heard that missionaries uh, aren't supposed to go swimming because Satan has control over the waters? Um, look at verse 6 again all flesh is in mine hand and he that is faithful among you shall what not perish missionaries pretty faithful why are missionaries not allowed to go swimming I've got one yeah, they're, they're still my tea. Is the one short of the answer? <laughs> yeah, we weren't allowed to go ice skating when I was in Canada either. Yeah, yeah, because it's just it's skimp, it's idleness and it's skimpy costumes, and I mean, there's a lot. That's why it has nothing to do with Satan's riding around on the waters. He can get missionaries. By the way, they can get they can get in trouble on the land too. That's a myth. Those little yeah. I mean, this is just, wasn't there a story in Church Street about a boat uh, with the saints on one of these like rivers? Or maybe I'm thinking one in a bird or something? Can I say it again? There was, a, it was full of uh, immigrants, I believe, that were saints. And was it on, I'm not sure what river it was on, but that it burned? And they, there were lots of saints, but they didn't. Out, out, okay. So the leader was born not to take them on the ship. On the ship. Yeah. Anyway, it's, it, it capsized, it caught fire and capsized. Oh, that's right. Yes. What river was that? I, I, I don't remember. But, but, for, but for different reasons. We just know that as, as we're getting closer to the end time, look how unsafe the waters are becoming in terms of tsunamis. and Think about wars with submarine warfare. I mean, it's just, 
This is, we're just changing. Okay? All right. Two, five minutes. Okay. Read through section 61 against this backdrop. And I want you to read his discussion about waters. Uh, because what's he, what he's going to do now is he's going to say, all right, I'm going to give specific instructions. He wants Joseph and Cindy and Oliver to go to Cincinnati. Because it's really bad. And preach with holy hands. Call them repentance. He's going to have them, if they're not listening, dust off your feet against them. Party P. Pratt did that in the, in the presence of a group of shakers. And they got really upset. So he said, if you're going to kind of bear witness against them, don't do it in their presence. Do it somewhere else. That would be contentious. Okay? But I want to make sure that I finish with this. Because there is kind of what I think is kind of a sweet story here. Section 62. When they had left Kirtland, a lot of brethren went out in a lot of different directions. But they knew that they were going to dedicate the land in Jackson County. Or somewhere out there. They didn't know exactly where. We know we're going. Um, two companionships. Hiram Smith, John Murdoch. David Whitmer, Harvey Whitlock. Got busy baptizing. Preaching the gospel. Uh, they baptized uh, William McClellan. Uh, they had enough that success preaching the gospel on their way to Missouri. They had so much success that they missed the dedication of the land. They were about what they were supposed to be about and missed the festivities. And right after they leave, this, they have this experience of McAway's band. Like the next day, this is one of those uh, Sons of Messiah Alma moments, you know, where these guys are on their way back and they run into these four guys, two companionships. Great time. Wow, we've had lots of success. What'd you do? Well, we dedicated Jackson County, the land. Temple Mount. Really? We missed that. Okay? And so here comes this revelation to these four guys who missed the party. Hearken, O ye elders of my church, even Jesus Christ, your advocate, who knoweth the weakness of man and how to succor them who are tempted. I'm going to come back to that. Nevertheless, verse 3, you are blessed for the testimony you have borne is recorded in heaven. For the angels to look upon and they rejoice over you and your sins are forgiven. Now, brethren, who missed the party, continue your journey, verse 4. Assemble yourselves upon the land of Zion, hold a meeting and do what? Rejoice together and offer a sacrament unto the Most High. Thank you for what you did. I appreciate you. Now, let me just say that I think the parallel here, this is what I want to finish with. Some of the most effective missionaries that we have in this church are senior missionaries. And they are magnificent. And they get into homes and they have discussions 
and they bring with them a life of experience and blessings that 19 and 20 year olds cannot reach. And they won't go on the missions. Why? Because they're going to miss the party. They're going to miss out on their, their grandkids' baptisms and on birthdays. They're going to miss all this stuff and so they don't go. And the, and the Lord says to them, as well as they get to these four brethren, please go. Your testimonies will be recorded in heaven by angels. And what will happen here is that you will one day be able to be in Zion and rejoice together. And offer up your sacraments. What offerings would you have as senior missionary who's missed out on their grandson's ordination to the priesthood? Or your granddaughter's baptism? What sacraments would you have? There are other reasons why besides that. There is. But I'm specifically speaking for the... Right, the other people. Your sacrifices. And, and then listen close. In your sacrifice, and when you're standing in you're standing in the spirit world, and the Lord says, Okay, I'm up to this point I've kind of crowned you to one day become a king or queen. Now you're gonna become a, now you're about to become a king or queen. What do you get to have as your crown? What's your crown? Your jewels. Your jewels. Those people that you bore testimony to and will rise up and call you blessed for what you do. Inside, and you'll be able to refuse. And won't even be the grandkids you missed doing stuff and all that? Too. Yeah, and, and it'll be your grandkids saying, you may have missed out on this, but your... Uh, your example to me and what you did and everything, I will bless you as much as anybody else will for that sacrifice. Because uh, like we were saying to immigrate and love their families Who never got to see their families again in Europe when they came out here. Yes. For a perfect example. Children in posterity Zion. Yeah. Yeah. So I bear in my testimony that these experiences of these very human people are so real, if you, if you understand the backstory behind them, and they are us. This is our, this is our legacy. This is our legacy. And I don't care whether you're actually related to them or not. They're, this is your legacy. Of uh, these wonderful people and the sacrifices that they made. I bear in my testimony that it's true. And I leave that with you in Jesus' name. Okay, did somebody get called on for the closing prayer? Yeah. Oh. Our Father in heaven, we come before the close of our institute class this day. We're grateful for the gospel which we've been given, for the restored church, and for the blessings that we receive because of it. We pray now that we might take this, which we've learned this day, home with us, that we might continue our studies. We're grateful for the many blessings that we receive at thy hand. We pray that thou might continue to bless us. We pray that thy spirit might attend us to testify us 
to us the truthfulness of the things which we've heard. We pray that we might always seek to do that which is right. We pray for a portion of thy spirit that we might always choose to do and say those things that would be acceptable to thee. Bless us now as we depart that we might do so in peace and safety. In this we humbly pray. In the name of thy beloved Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, one last thing. There is a wonderful lesson that I didn't get to teach. I'm going to lead with it next week, but I'm going to make it your homework. Your advocate knoweth the weakness of men and how to succor them. I want you to research succor them and how he will succor us. To go to the tropical guide and look up succor you. And, and follow that and get some, we get some stuff on it. So that's your homework. Research sucker for next time. Could be. It's just that there's enough difference of opinion on whether he saw Satan, whether he saw an angel of Satan. He couldn't even saw the Lord the destroyer like that. Oh, well, that's true. So we don't know. But they're just we just know that the destruction was coming. That right. They, that they came in and some they way. And if some questions roll out of there, shoot them. Okay, I will. Thanks. You bet. Thanks. 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 What's you do? Run off? Yeah. Oh.